so two weeks ago, I uh, started a sermon series, and at the end of the, uh, the morning service, I said, see you next Sunday, and then I forgot that I was going to Africa, <laughs> so I got home, and I was like, oh, I should have probably gotten prayer for that, um, and so many of you knew that, obviously, and you were praying, I just want to say thank you for that, and so, yeah, I was in Kenya for five days, um, and I actually almost was on an airplane longer than I was in the country. It was a very quick trip. Um, my daughter Sadie and I went to Kenya, which is in eastern Africa, and this was my 11th trip there. And I've been going to Kenya for about 10 years or so, and so uh, it was really great. I got to go over, and one of my good friends is a pastor in Nakuru, and his name's Edgar King, and he became the national director of Vineyard Kenya. So I was there to see him installed as the the new um, national director, and then preaches church and train pastors, and and I also got to uh, go to a uh, we went to this park, you know, like just for a picnic, and um, we were eating food. And like, if you've ever been to a picnic here, have you ever been eating, you know, chicken or barbecuing burgers, and all of a sudden a turkey walks out? Have you ever done that? Or like a deer, right? You're like, oh, this is really like, fun, you know, you're eating your burger. Now, if you were with Kenyans, they'd be like, oh my gosh, what is that animal? And they'd be taking pictures and everything. When I go to Kenya, you're eating, and all of a sudden, random animals walk out, only they're animals we never see. So, I have a couple pictures for you. So, first animal is I got to see an elephant or two, and I got to touch it, too. It was pretty sweet. I almost rode it, but decided not to. Uh, and so, these are baby elephants. Uh, there were giraffes, and I was, I was with uh, a bunch of people, and I, I saw this Kenyan guy, and he said, hey, do you want to go get a picture? And I was like, I would love to go closer to that giraffe. And so I walked over to it, and it just kept staring at me, and so I kept walking closer and closer to the point where it was right here. It was so cool. And, I, and someone was telling me earlier that it might have licked me, and I was like, I didn't think about that. Um, it would been awkward. But they're the cutest animal ever. I want one. Uh, also saw a hippo. And um, hippos are actually the most dangerous animal in Africa. They kill people all the time. In fact, as I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And it was about, you know, about where the wall is back there. I'm taking pictures of it. Um, the guy's like, oh, yeah, they kill people all the time. And I'm like, why are we here then? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? But anyway, it was, it was just a real great um, quick trip. And um, one of the things that I love about my time um, in Kenya is I've formed relationships with, with people in Kenya now that I've known for over 10 years. And so when I go over there, I have all these friends all over the country who will come in and visit me where I'm at, or they'll, you know, we'll, we'll be in their city and I'll spend time. And it, it's really cool. And I love that aspect about being the church. I mean, it's kind of like this theme that's been standing out for me this morning is, you know, Nikki and Corey, um, you know, what she was sharing earlier is this is a place where, where they experienced community and we fell in love with them. Um, and, you know, we were sad to see them go, but now they've gone to, um, to another city and are um, planting a church and there's this community of friends. And when we went up there, we saw them, they're all close. And it's like, that's what I love about the kingdom of God is that when we get out of the way, Jesus has a way of, of building community and building relationships and friendships, and it's really beautiful when you see that. And so I'm, I was just really um, happy to, to experience that. And um, we're going to be going to Kenya in the future um, in the same way we're committed to wanting to um, do more missions in Mexico, which is a really great kind of like 
low-hanging fruit. If you want to get involved in missions, but you're not really sure, you know, that you want to sit on an airplane for 30 hours, no one does. Uh, but if you are not sure about that, you know, Mexico would be a great place to get in. And so you can talk to myself or, or Doug or any of our leaders here at the church. Doug, I should probably want you to just wave your hand real quick so that way all the people who don't know who Doug is now know who Doug is. Um, but uh, so Mexico is great, but we're also going to go to Kenya. There's a lot of opportunities for, for ministry in both of those countries, as well as here in Red Bluff uh, as well, too. But um, I'd like to pray and then spend a little bit of time um, uh, talking to us uh, as a community and read some scripture and things like that. So but let's pray first. Um, Father, we would like your Holy Spirit to, to be um, not just present as you have been this morning, but to be active and to speak to us and to encourage us, to kick us in the pants where we need to be kicked and to comfort us where we need to be comforted and to be encouraged and inspired and, and loved. Lord, just all the things that we have uh, as a community, the needs we have, would you, would you be present with us today? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this sermon series right now that we're calling Core Values, and we're just exploring uh, five of our vineyard core values. And um, two weeks ago, I started talking about this idea of partnering with the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how Jesus gives us this model to where we as followers of Jesus get to partner with God and see the kingdom of God break into our world. And we get to, by the power of the Spirit, see people's lives healed and put back together. And, and that's kind of part of our DNA as a vineyard church. Because um, I should mention, you know, the Vineyard is a movement. There's 3,000 churches or so all over the world. And um, so we're part of this, um, this legacy or this tradition, so to speak. Um, and so we talked about that. And then last week, Riker did an excellent job talking about experiencing and worshiping God. And I think we should give Riker a huge round of applause because he did such a good job. Um, I, I just really appreciate uh, appreciated what he was sharing with us. And then today I want to talk about this, this idea um, of reconciling people with God in all of creation. It's one of our values, this idea of reconciling people with God or to God in all creation. But before we do that, I want to read a little bit of scripture. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to read uh, what Jesus does here. And I just want to kind of give us a little bit of the context here. So Jesus has just healed somebody. What happened is um, there was a group of friends who had a friend who was um, paralyzed and unable to move by himself. And so these friends are trying to uh, get their, their friend who they care about, this paralyzed man, uh, to Jesus. But Jesus is so popular and, and there's so many people um, listening to Jesus that they're unable to like get through the crowds. And so they're like, all right, well, I got a creative way to do this. Let's climb upstairs because in those first century houses, they actually would have uh, a big open space in the, in the ceiling or the roof. And so they went up there and then they lowered their friend down and Jesus saw the faith of the friends and heals the man, forgives him of his sins and he gets healed. So that's just happened. And we read these words. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples 
to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've read through the Gospels, um, I just fall in love with Jesus over and over again. In fact, I have long believed that one of the ways that you can get to know Jesus better, um, because I think many of you are like, oh, I want to get to know Jesus better. Our mission is knowing Jesus and making him known. If that really is the case, I would encourage you to read the Gospels. I love Mark, and the reason why I love Mark is because it's only 16 chapters. Really quick, you get in, you get out, you get the bullet points. And then after you've mastered Mark, you can move on to Luke or Matthew and, and, and John. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things about Jesus and the Gospels, though. And everything that Jesus does is, I don't know, it's so winsome. People who, who know who they are or know the challenge we have as human beings, when we read the stories of Jesus, I don't know about you, but I just fall in love with Jesus over and over again. I mean, he has a way of inviting people in who are on the outskirts or margins of society. He he does it in a way that you just feel like, oh my gosh, even I, even I could experience grace. And then what I also love about Jesus is he has a way of throwing things in Pharisees' faces to make their arguments look absolutely ridiculous. And I just love that about Jesus. He does this this back and forth thing where he's always constantly like really, really gracious to people who need grace, but then people who are filled with pride and arrogance, he has a way of, of revealing how lost and messed up they are. I just, I, just, I just love it. And so every single time I read the gospels or any passage of, uh, passage of scripture, I just, I see that over and over again. And so here we are in Mark chapter two. And this is a really helpful text, I think, for us to, to think about this value of, of being a community, a church, a, a community of people uh, who are committed to reconciling people to God and to all creation. This is a great text. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time this morning talk about why I think it's so good. But this vineyard value, this commitment to doing all that we can to help people have peace with God in all of creation is really central to who we are. Um, and, and it's central and it's foundational to, to, to what we do as a church. And this morning, I got to tell you something, like my time zones are so jacked up. I got really arrogant, speaking of arrogance. I got home on Tuesday and I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning. I was like, I'm fine. I'm totally okay. And then, you know, so Wednesday I went to core group and I was even talking to people at core group and they'll tell you right now, I was like, ah, oh, nothing. I'm young. I, I have no problems traveling. And then that night I didn't sleep at all. And I, I just like stayed up all night. And so Thursday I went about my business. And then by 4.30 in the afternoon, I was like just dying. So I took a quick nap and then I woke up and I went to bed and I woke up and I was like really doing great. And so last night when I went to bed at 11 o'clock, I was like, I finally have gotten on to the right time zone. And then at two o'clock this morning when I woke up bright eye and bushy tailed, I was a little frustrated, so I drank a bunch of coffee, and, 
and all that type of stuff. Um, but I got to tell you right now that as, this, as I was thinking about this, this uh, topic this morning um, at three in the morning, I was thinking about a person who we've talked about here in our church community, um, but somebody who I think some of you might not know her story, and her name was Mary. And um, it's, it's just a beautiful story because what I saw God do with our church community around this woman is exactly what I think Jesus is all about and he's called our church to be. But there's this lady, Mary. And so the story goes like this. I get a phone call one day. I'm here at the church office. This lady calls. She's like, hey, I need to talk to Pastor Luke. And I was like, well, he's busy, but uh, let me get your phone number. No, I was kidding. I was like, hi, what's up? And she's like, yeah. So uh, my friend Terry Blake gave me your phone number and want to talk to you because I need to figure out this whole Jesus thing. I'm like, all right, cool. So she comes and we sit down and, and she's like, so uh, I've been given basically two or three months to live and I don't have a relationship with God, I don't think. And I just want to know, like, what is, what do I do? And so I'm like, oh, I mean, like, it's not very often that we have people who just show up and like, oh, hey, I'd like to be saved. Right? So I'm like, all right. So I, I just basically walk her through what the Bible teaches about salvation, and I share the gospel with her, and I talk to her about what Jesus did on the cross. He died on, died on the cross for our sins, and she's just listening and listening and listening, and then at the very end, she's like, yeah, I, I want to do that. I'm like, really? <laughs> you do? And so I'm like, all right, well, let's pray. And so we pray right there. She gives her life to Jesus, and I'm like, sweet, you know, like notch on the belt, got one. And, uh, and then I'm like, all right, you need to like get going. I got stuff to do. I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. And, uh, and then she's like, well, can I come to church here? And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) probably should invite her to church. So invited her. She came on Sunday and then she stayed here for the next year or so. And what happened is she eventually passed away, but over the course of a year and something, In this church community, she went from being a person who was just exploring what it meant to have a relationship with God, to have a relationship with God, to joining a core group, to serving in a variety of different teams. And she was here all the time. And then when she passed away, our whole entire church community could say, we saw a woman who was reconciled to God and also reconciled to all of creation because she had a community of people who deeply loved her. And she was... She was just, I mean, a huge testimony of this church's um, gospel commitment is really what happened. And so I was thinking a lot about her because I think she is a perfect example of what we are about as a church. It's not the only thing we're about. We're about a lot of other things. I think the kingdom of God compels us to be committed to certain kingdom activities. But that is definitely central to who we are as we want people to, to be reconciled and to have peace with God. And so it was really a beautiful thing to to be a part of. And, you know, as a church, I just want to say that this is really important for us, this idea of multiplication, which is, again, a theme. We are called to multiply. Did you know, listen to what Jesus says, um, you know, we're talking about reconciling people with God in all creation, but look what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Pause. Do you know how you can learn to obey all the commands that Jesus has given to you? Does anybody know what book you might want to look into? (laughs) Right? Yeah, so he's, he's saying, hey, you need to 
You need to engage with scripture. I want people to, to, to follow my commandments, my teachings. And he says, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. So this idea of multiplication is simply us carrying out the calling and the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples. We are called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make this, right? That's the whole idea of multiplication. And, and I think part of this too, I must add, is that I think part of this idea of making disciples is that for many people, we have to work really hard and be very intentional to help people see that Christianity is extremely relevant in the world that we live in. Christianity, our faith, following Jesus is relevant to the world that we live in, especially right now. Especially right now, we need to demonstrate that. You know, the nature of the gospel, the the idea of the good news, the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. The very nature of the gospel is, is at the heart of this idea of multiplication. I mean, it's, it's just, it just goes together. I mean, we are loved so that we can love. We are given grace so that we can extend grace. We are able to experience mercy so that we can extend mercy. I mean, these things are given to us for a purpose. I, I love, one of my favorite quotes of all times is by this man by the name of D.T. Niles. And when I first heard this quote, I was like, that right there sets the whole entire trajectory of what Christianity is about. If you want to know what Christianity is about, I think D.T. Niles summarizes it well when he says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Now, I know some of you are like, I ain't no beggar. You know, I don't need no handout. You fundamentally misunderstand grace if that's your response. I mean, like, I'm just telling you right now, and I've thought long and hard about this. I have studied this. I have I've read many books. I am convinced with all of my heart that God would be perfectly just in sending every single one of us to hell. He would. We are broken. We are We are sinners. We are mean. Some of you are meaner than others. I've seen your Facebook. Okay. I mean, but for real, like we have a need for grace. And that's the whole idea is that it's unmerited favor. We don't earn grace from God. He freely gives it to us. It is absolutely beautiful and amazing. And so Christianity is one beggar who has discovered bread and then turns around and tells other people, I have found bread, the bread of life. I love that. And since we've already talked about how God is already at work around us, we talked about that two weeks ago. Since we've already done that, I think we need to be more intentional to think about how we can partner with the Holy Spirit in relation to helping people experience reconciliation. I had this really interesting thing um, happen. This uh, this happened so many times. Um, so I was going to go. I was guiding some people fishing, and I, I was previous to the event. I was asking for prayer and for opportunities to share Jesus with people I was going to fish with. And so I was 
Like, Lord, help me be sensitive to where you are at work. Lord, give me the wisdom to know how seven hours into the trip, how to work in a little spirituality. Okay, that was my prayer. I kid you not, I sit down in the boat and the person looks at me and is like, so I heard you're a pastor. I want to know all about religion. I'm like, um, <laughs> it was so like weird. I got to talk about Jesus for like eight hours. It's crazy. I think that God's at work in the lives of people around us. And that's what I, I, I've had that happen so many times. I, I've shared with some of you before where I had this one opportunity where I, I was guiding this guy who had driven from Utah and he gets in the boat and he immediately goes to like the deep end of the pool. He's like, yeah, so I'm from Utah and I just uh, discovered my dad's suicide a few years ago. And I'm like, snow in my boat. Okay. And, uh, you know, and he just starts telling me about how, how hard it was seeing his father and, and, and being on a, a date with his, his then wife for the first time and then discovering his father's suicide. And he's telling me all about it. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I grew up Mormon, but, you know, that just is just too legalistic for me. And I, I just don't believe any of that stuff. But I really want my kids, though, to have some type of faith. And I, I, my, my wife and I are talking a lot about you know, what it means to be a, a person of, of faith, and I'm trying to figure that out. And then he's like, so what else do you do besides guiding? And I'm like, well, incidentally, I actually am a pastor. And then eight hours of talking about Jesus. It was crazy. And, and this is all I can tell you is that it just seems like when we, uh, when we begin to, like, see and keep our eyes open about the fact and the idea that God's at work all around us, and we open up our ears and keep our eyes open, we start to observe that there's a lot of opportunities around us to be able to share our faith with people. And I have to tell you right now, your story about how you experience grace can help other people be reconciled to God. That is why your story, your testimony is so, so deeply important. I, I, and I'm, I'm at the point now where it's funny, like when I was in, in seminary and in grad school, I mean, I took all these classes on post-modernity and, and trying to share my faith in a secular world. And, and I read all these books on how to deal with all the objections that people have to the Bible or to, you know, all the philosophical challenges like, well, how can a loving God allow suffering and all these really deep questions, which I think are very important. But what I've found and I suspect is that most people actually just want to have some really practical things um, explained to them. Like, like, does God love me? Like, how do I know that God loves me? Or, or, or maybe they just want to see us demonstrate our faith in Jesus in a real way. I, I, I just have come to the point where I'm convinced that it's not quite as, as challenging or as impossible as we sometimes think it. So what I think we need to see in Mark 2, though, is this. There's a couple things uh, that I want us just to see. And it's just so central to this idea of reconciling people. Mark right here notes, you see that? He notes that, uh, a lot, that, that there were many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners uh, that were with Jesus and with Matthew that time, with Levi. But then it says this. It says, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. It's really interesting to me that... Jesus is always hanging out with messed up, broken people, so much so that the Pharisees see Jesus hanging out with all those people, and they, 
they ask the question, why is he hanging out with all those scum? All those scum. I mean, I, I was in core group this week, and one person um, said it so well. He said, when I read this text, what this text does for me is it reminds me that Jesus wants to hang out with me. And I was like, you're not that scummy. No, I didn't say it. But, but <laughs> it was true, though. I was like, man, that's true. Like, if we know who we are and we're aware of our brokenness, it is deeply, deeply, deeply humbling and, and amazing and beautiful to think that Jesus wants to eat with us. He wants to spend time with us as broken and as, as, as you know, messed up as we are. And so I think that that says something about the nature of Jesus' uh, commitment to reconciling people. And then I also think we see that Jesus' way of doing ministry is, is very important to note. Because I think that sometimes we get it in our head that we have got to do things in such a, like, really, I don't know, like, it's, we put all this energy and effort into doing it right. And, like, oh, my gosh, we're going to do this outreach. We've got it all planned. We're going to go hand out all these different things. And then we're going to give them these tracts and these books. And we're going to also have the bullhorn so we can yell at them and tell them they're terrible people. And I can't wait to do it. And it seems so overwhelming. But you know what Jesus did? almost all the time is he sat down around a dinner table and he ate with people. That's what Jesus did. That's what Matt, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 34-ish, it says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That was his methodology for doing ministry. And so I think that the idea of having, having numerous meals and coffee meetings and Getting together with people and sharing and sharing your faith is a very effective way to help people experience reconciliation. So this is what I want to do just for the rest of our talk here. I want to talk about what I see as two obstacles to reconciliation. Uh, I, I, I noticed this, like, I don't know if you do this, but like, you know, maybe you get up in the morning, you do your devotionals. And, and I found there's this, that we have this habit as human beings where we read these stories and we're like reading it, and we're like, yeah, you get him, Jesus. You ever do that? Like, oh, man, those, those Pharisees, those are hypocrites. You know, like, get him, Jesus. Slap them up. You know, get them. And we have this way of always reading the text of Scripture like we're the hero, like we're the, we're the disciples. Like, oh, yeah, I would never. Peter, oh, my gosh, what a moron. Like, if it was me, I would totally not doubt Jesus at all, right? I think that we need to read the text of Scripture and just consider, just consider where we are at in the story and how we might actually be more of a Pharisee than we realize. We may be more of a Pharisee than we realize. And so just think about this for a moment. Two obstacles to reconciliation, which are, I think, the way of the Pharisees um, are this. The first one is this. I think that um, they had a lack of biblical vision and values. And it's fascinating to me that the Pharisees, who are, who are literally the most smartest, is that an appropriate sentence? The most smartestest people about the Old Testament law. I mean, they like have it memorized. Okay, they know it all. And so what we see is they know everything about the Old Testament. So the Old Testament all over the place says that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel was supposed to be a place where they would point to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. They would be a community of people who would help the nations come to know Jesus. 
And what happens is by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees have turned into this community of religious, legalistic people who do not have a heart for those who are outside, overlooked, marginalized, or oppressed. They have no time for that. And so they lack a biblical vision and they lack biblical values. And so for us to be a community of people who are committed to the reconciliation of people with God and with other people, then we have to have a biblical vision and biblical values. Without a biblical vision, what we're doing is disconnected from reconciliation. But when we look at scripture, we see that this is actually the ministry that you and I have all been given. Let me ask you a quick question. I know no one likes raising their hands here, but if you're a follower of Jesus and you have experienced grace, put your hand up right now. Okay, guess what? The Bible teaches you are a minister. You're like, dang it, that's your job. No, look at this. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 and 19. He says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So a major obstacle to reconciliation that was put into practice by the Pharisees was they didn't have a biblical vision or biblical values. And secondarily, consumerism is, is really a big part of what was driving the Pharisees, which is simply they were self-centered. And I, I just got to tell you, um, right now, I, I have been, I've been in ministry now for 20 years, over 20 years, I think it's like 22 years. And I've been in the church for my whole life, pretty much. I don't remember a season of my life where I was not involved in church in some way. Um, and I'm telling you right now that I'm convinced that probably, at least in the top five, challenges that we have in Western Christianity is consumerism. It's this whole idea of what can the church do for me? And that's the primary motivation for our whole approach to the church. And I, and I mean, I'm telling you right now, it's destroying the church's witness before the world because we are so concerned about what we get out of it. We're not thinking about what we bring to the table. And I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't try to be part of a community that meets needs. I'm not saying that. I mean, like, I'm not going to your church if you don't have coffee. You just need to know that, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. Kidding. But the point is, is that we need to really think about why do we exist as a part of a community? It's definitely to be able to receive and to, to, to be on the recipient end of grace and encouragement and hope and all those type of prayer. But we also need to consider what we bring to the table and the gifting that God has given us and how we're able to contribute into the community of the church. And so if you look at any of the religious scholars or sociologists who are writing right now and are researching the state of the American church, they're all saying that consumerism is destroying the church right now. And it's a large part of just our society we live in. The, the last two generations, many sociologists have called generation me. It, it's a problem. Let me tell you right now, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus is not to consume, but to give. Jesus said that. He said it's better to give than to receive. 
Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so consumerism is a, it's a pretty big problem, I think, in, in the church. So I want to just read this quick statement from our values. This is a, you know, from the Vineyard um, Core Values and Vision in relation to reconciling people with God and all creation. This is what we say. We say Jesus is reconciling humans to God, to each other, and to the entire creation. Breaking down divisions between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Therefore, we in the vineyard are committed to becoming healing communities engaged in the work of reconciliation wherever sin and evil hold sway. We seek to be diverse communities of hope that realize the power of the cross to reconcile what has been separated by sin. This is what we are about. It's not the only thing we're about, but it's central. It's one of our core, five core vineyard values. This defines us as a community and it informs our concept of what it means to be the church and what it means to be able to do church ministry. This, quite frankly, just as a side, is, is how I think about church growth. And, and when I think about church growth, my concept of church growth is not like, hey, let's figure out how many people from other churches we can get to come to our church. Like, oh my gosh, we need to have better coffee. Why don't we get an espresso bar? Not saying we're not going to do that, just saying, okay? Like, that's not what drives, it drives a biblical a biblically informed concept of church growth. I think what drives a biblically informed kingdom theology influenced concept of church growth is to think about all of these people in our community who do not have a relationship with Jesus. And because they don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to be a community that helps reconcile them to God and helps reconcile them with other human beings so they can be in community together to grow and to be nurtured and to be able to also, therefore, make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. And so we're not thinking about lateral church growth per se, but we're trying to see people come to faith in Jesus. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying, you know, if you're checking out the vineyard from another church, we're not saying don't do that. I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, wisdom in, in, in exploring other church communities. I'm not saying that at all, but I just want to let you know that our primary central commitment is to reconciling people to God. That is it. We want people to come to, to know Jesus. Amen? Let's stand up together. We're going to receive communion in a moment here. I um. Ever since core group, I've been, I've been meditating on that idea of that Jesus wants to eat with scummy old me. Yeah, amen. It's, it's so beautiful that Jesus, all throughout the Gospels. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. That was his methodology of bringing the kingdom of God. He came eating and drinking. And so isn't it fitting that one of the ways that Jesus would communicate the gospel to his people would be through a meal? 
And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament where Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, gives Israel meals to remember the grace of God. So it's like this is just a pattern that we see all over the Bible. But Jesus instituted this, this meal, the sacrament, the Eucharist, communion, or the Lord's Supper is what we refer to it as. And so in a moment, we're going to receive uh, communion together. And I just want to say a couple things about that. Um, first of all, if it's your first time here at the Vineyard, maybe you're not sure if you're allowed uh, to receive communion with us. And I just want to mention that one thing that we strongly believe is that this is not my table, and this is not the Vineyard's table. This is the Lord's table. And Jesus instituted a way of having meals by having meals with lots of messed up, broken people. And so what I like to say is that this meal was instituted for his followers. But if you're here this this morning and you want to experience grace, maybe it's for the first time, maybe you're not even sure where you're at with this whole Jesus thing, but this morning you have a, a sense or a desire to experience grace, then I would say you are welcome to receive with us. And so if you're here right now and you don't yet have one, you feel free right now to come forward here, here, or here. There's always a couple people that, that didn't get one, so feel free to do that. It's totally normal. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and then we're going to receive together. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, when you meet together, I'm sorry, verse 21, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so as we peel off the top layer, we hold the bread, the body, and every Sunday we break it together. Let's break it. And that is a reminder of Jesus' broken body for us. And I want to just take a moment and have you close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now as we receive this bread and this cup to, to make in our hearts real what is real. That we would be filled fresh, that we would be renewed, we would be encouraged, that we would be reminded of the forgiveness that has been given to us. And that as crude as it may feel and how it, it might even be more humbling than you're ready to admit, but Jesus ate with scum. He regularly ate with disreputable sinners. And so this morning, I don't know where you think you are, but I can tell you right now that no matter where you're at, Jesus is, in, he's, he's anxious, he's eager to eat this meal with you. And he desires for you to know how deeply loved you are. So Holy Spirit, as we receive this bread, would you make real to us the truth of the gospel? Let's receive together.
And as we hold up this cup, the cup of the new covenant, Lord, as we drink from it, would you refresh our hearts? And would you do as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, that your Holy Spirit would pour love into our hearts? Let's receive together. So, Father, we do thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for the peace that comes from being reconciled to you, Lord. Now, before we, before we transition from this gathered space of worship, let's just wait on the Holy Spirit for a moment and feel like there might be some things for us to pray into. And so um, I'm just going to encourage you to keep your eyes closed right now. And let's just, let's just um, position our hearts to receive from, from God right now. So I just have um, this, this nudge, this feeling that there's a number of you in this room that it, even as we've been just standing here, as you've been, been sitting this morning, you've been hearing this, this word reconciliation, you've been sensing that God has called you um, in a unique way to be, to be a minister of reconciliation. Like all of us in this room are called to be ministers of reconciliation in the sense of sharing the gospel with people, but... But there's some, some of you in this room, you have some specific, um, some particular situations where God has given you um, opportunities and, and even a nudge. And, and so I want to pray for you. If that's you, we, we, I want to pray for you for a moment. Um, but I'm going to, we don't always do this, but I just have a strong sense that Jessica, um, you, have the, you have that ministry in, in the school, like with your kids. I, I just so clearly just think that God... God has placed you in that room for a reason. Um, I know you know that, but like, we, we're going to pray for you. And then um, you know, right behind you, Wes, I don't know her name. But yeah, her right there. You can touch her hand. <laughs> um, I also have a sense that God's really, um, I almost have a feeling like there's some relationships in your life that like maybe there's just been some fragments or maybe some distance, but I feel like God's just saying he's going to, use you as a conduit for reconciliation just with some relationships that are going on in your life. Does that at all seem possible? Yeah? Okay. Where, what was your name? Barb? Okay. Wes is a professional prayer. I've looked into it. So Wes and Shannon, will you guys pray for Barb if that's okay? And then um, would you guys pray for Jessica right there? And then for anybody else in the room right now where you would say, hey, that's me, I... 
I feel like the Lord's given me just a nudge right now that I want to be more involved in, in praying for reconciliation. I'm just going to pray a general prayer. But if you want to just acknowledge that, like, yeah, that's definitely in my realm. Um, just put your hand up right now. We'll pray for you as well. doesn't have to be weird or anything unless you want it to be weird. There's a couple of people right there. Yeah. All right, so, Father, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to um, just begin to fill every person in this room who feels that nudge, has a sense of being invited into, into that, God. I pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them um, just the eyes to see the opportunities around them. Um, Lord, uh, we just take a moment and pray for Barb over there. We pray that those relationships that, that you want to, to speak through her, Lord, that you would bless those. And we pray for Jessica as well, that, Lord, every student that, that comes into her class would be, um, would be encouraged and would receive hope. And, Lord, I just pray now that um, as we transition from this place of gathering together in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, that you would go with us into the communities that we live in and that we would be a blessing to everybody we come in contact with. We thank you for all that you are doing in our community. We long for your kingdom. We pray that your, your power and your glory would, would be lifted up, God, in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless all of you. We'll see you this Wednesday, 630 for core groups, or next Sunday uh, at 10.